Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I do think all of the men that come to reclaiming the throne, they have deep insecurities about this question like am i am i really a man or am i am i just a boy fucking around not really knowing what to do with my life my life the medicine path podcast is an ongoing exploration into the intersections of spirituality depth psychology and psychedelics the medicine path is a wholly independent and listener supported project so please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com forward slash medicine path or by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can find out more information at medicinepathpodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Brian James. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with Ivan Scalem, a men's work coach and the founder of Reclaim Your Inner Throne website and course, which is based on the work of Robert L. Moore. Now, as some of you know, Robert Moore was a neo-Jungian psychoanalyst, religious scholar, and the author of King, Warrior, Magician, Lover, which, along with Robert Bly's Iron John, is a book that has initiated thousands of men into their personal development work and has served as a kind of Bible for countless men's groups since its publication in the early 1990s. This was our second attempt at recording a conversation, and I'm happy that we had a chance to do it again. I think because we'd gotten the formalities out of the way in our first conversation, that we could really open up and have a frank and honest dialogue about where we're at personally with our own work and spiritual exploration, and perhaps start to envision where men's work, particularly the social and spiritual aspects, where it could be heading in the future. If you're interested in learning more about Ivan's work, you can check out his website, innerthrone.com. 
and he let me know that he's got a new group course starting up on March 28th. If you're more inclined toward a personalized one-to-one approach to your psycho-spiritual self-development, you can check out my coaching program for men called The Four Initiations, which is also based on Robert Moore's King Warrior Magician Lover. You can find out more about that at thefourinitiations.com or at my website, brianjames.ca. Okay, that's all for now. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Ivan Skillam on The Medicine Path. activated so let's see maybe maybe it doesn't come through okay i'm here with uh ivan skellum again uh so ivan as you know but listeners don't know we had uh, recorded an episode last week and uh ran into some technical difficulties so here we are again and uh, i'm glad we could uh try our hand at this again getting this conversation out there yeah. Well, let's hope that the tech works this time, Brian. Yeah, let's hope that Hermes is in our favor today. <laughs> Listen, I wonder if um, if you could start just by telling people where you are and what you do. Just uh, how yeah, would you like absolutely. to introduce yourself? That would be nice. Right now, I'm sat in the downstairs office of a villa here. I living with my partner in a community outside of Stockholm. We, uh, we chose to move to uh, Sweden uh, in um, April of last year. She has been living here for many years. Everything became a bit strange with COVID and the death of her father. So she was all over the place for a while. Um, but we came here because she... Um, she was almost complete with uh, her her required years for getting a citizenship. And so now she has a citizenship and uh, I realized I like it here. I never imagined myself as a Norwegian that I would uh, move to Sweden, but here I am. I'm looking, well, it's dark now, but if, uh, if, it, if it weren't dark, I'd be seeing the ocean down below. And so we have this lovely home here and great people that we live with. As for what I do for uh, for a living, I've been engaged in men's work now for many years. Uh, I created a, a training and a men's work organization back in 2014 uh, called Reclaiming the Throne. And uh, been doing that now for yeah quite a while. So we were approaching the decade. And um, the... The backbone like the 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 biggest inspiration and um maybe the academic foundation for that work is the work of robert moore and uh, the neo-jungian lineage uh, which is what brought you and i into contact so i've been deeply immersed in uh, studying archetypes for more than a decade and um since I'm, I, I, I am from an academic family, uh, Brian, and I never really 
played it that way. So I'm not approaching these archetypes mainly from an academic point of view. I'm much more of a, an empirical re, empirical researcher. I I just throw things at the wall or the canvas and I see what sticks. And then if it sticks, I like it. Okay, I'll 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 use this. It's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was interesting to find your work actually, because um, as some of the listeners know, I've recently launched a men's coaching program that's based on Robert Moore's work, King Warrior, Magician, Lover. Yeah, and uh, I was telling you before that occasionally I'll get online and kind of poke around and see who else is working with this material, and nice. uh, I came across an interview that you did with Robert Moore's niece which I'd like to talk about later. But uh, that led me to checking out your legacy of work, including um, the masculinity movies website that you had for some years, and yeah, then finding great. Reclaiming the Throne and uh, listening to some podcasts that you had done during the pandemic where you're walking around talking about the archetypes and other things and how they relate to current events. And Correct. I thought, wow, yeah. this is a guy who has really taken Robert Moore's work and used it as a foundation for his own work. And mm. it was really clear to me that you had immersed yourself in the material for a, for a long time, steeped in it and mm. gone deep. And uh, I was really excited to find that because, you know, a lot of people talk about King Warrior, Magician, Lover, they, you know, people who do coaching programs or podcasts might do an episode on it. They might yes. do a little overview on it but I haven't found other men who have gone as deeply as I have into it. And uh, I just keep coming back to it over the years because to me, it's the, it's the best, most effective framework for a man to begin working on himself really. And I uh, just find it just enlivens the imagination and, and it engages men faster than anything else I've ever seen or experienced. Yeah. So it was great to find you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, good to meet you as well, uh, Brian. I'm, I, I'm curious. I don't normally do questions when I come to a podcast interview, but I'm curious to hear from you. Um, it sounds like you've been searching for several models that could inspire and influence your work and, and thinking. And I'm with you on this. I'm just deeply in love with the system. Though, how do you find that it um relates to vertical development if you understand instead of like horizontal integration do, do you understand what i mean when i say that well i you know i have my own kind of shorthand understanding of that yeah <clears throat> let's see if it matches with what you're thinking of yeah um so for me I, the way that i uh i imagine the archetypes sitting in a mandala is that the king mm -hmm is in the top. So if we think about a cross, mm. it's perfect mandala of wholeness. And mm. like Jung said that the quaternity, the fourfold uh, structure is the archetype of wholeness. <clears throat> yes. So Robert Moore's work uh, sees four primary archetypes as the foundation for the male psyche yes. and female too, but like we're talking about the male. So at the top of that cross, the vertical, is uh, the king in the southern point is the magician in the 
I would say the West is the lover and the East is the the warrior. So in that vertical realm, for me, the magician is an introverted archetype. It's about going within, learning how to meditate, to still the mind, to do personal inquiry work, study, that kind of thing. Mm. And for me, the king is the connection to God, to the divine, to that which is greater than oneself and Mm. taking the directive from God. So classically, Mm. the king being the channel for the divine into the realm and being the living embodiment of that. And so we could think of the king also as yeah. the wise elder or maybe even, uh, you know, the priest or, or the father figure in some ways. And so I think that's how we connect to that verticality is through the magician and the king. Uh, but to me, the king's maybe not something to practice so much, but it's the culmination of working on all of the other, t- other, other archetypes and integrating mm. them. And it just comes with age and maturity and experience. I think. Yeah. I don't think I don't think we can do a uh, work, weekend workshop on wake, awakening your inner king and come out uh, ready to be an elder. I think it takes time. I agree. Hmm. <laughs> as frustrating as that might be for many people who want to <laughs> build businesses around this. well yeah i mean my coaching program i've got it set up so we can do it over six weeks and some men take a little longer to be with the material so could be up to 12 weeks yeah Um, but i'm really clear that these are just initiations into engagement with the archetypes and that that engagement has to take time and uh, your participation so your effort and uh, diligence and and patience too. True. I do believe that the acceptance of a slow pace, like the the gradual marinating into new um, forms of consciousness and new habits, new maybe even new values i think it, it takes it, it takes time it's something that i'm some sometimes a bit disillusioned with uh, this this idea that everything should happen so fast yeah good yeah it's a good thing to be disillusioned of <laughs> the fact that you can get this kind of transformation quickly and with little effort um, yeah Yeah. So when I was describing how I think of how Robert Moore's model addresses the verticality, was that in line with what you were initially thinking of when you asked me that? Well, the question, yes. Um, This is, um, this is an internal inquiry that I've been in a lot and I don't know if it's easy for you listeners to just immediately step into this with me, but I'm, I'm been focusing a lot on, on the, the difference between vertical um, development and horizontal integration and that there with vertical development you keep changing your your fundamental beliefs about the world and you know you have access to uh, more witness consciousness so i'm not nearly as identified with the objects of perception anymore but the, the things that i am perceiving and Ken Wilbur, the integral philosopher, he would say that uh, subject becomes object. 
And so gradually a subject becomes object in higher and higher levels of development. And I, I have sometimes wondered about this archetypal system, um, if it's merely about horizontal integration, so we become well-functioning individuals in within the worldview that we have, if you will, if that makes sense to you. So, for instance, if we were to... We're living in a world now, as far as I can tell, where the basic assumptions about civilization and about reality are being challenged. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And how can we use this system in order to to address such a an unusual predicament as as we find ourselves in, I think is my uh, fundamental inquiry. Mm. And um, and there's also the intersection here of um, you know the archetypal work of Robert Moore and maybe some of your listeners know about integral philosophy and Ken Wilber and that 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 there are systems or maps that I think need to be combined in order to have a full-fledged system of, um, or an epistemological map and the way that, that I understand the world as well as a, as a way that I actually choose to transform in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got a little, uh, little yellow flag came up for me when you're describing, um, his system and, uh, so, you know, what I heard was that in his system, the higher levels development as you move through those uh, subject becomes object. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the it's the opposite, actually, that the more I hmm. feel that I gain wisdom and I grow and my perspective on myself and the world expands, the more objects become subjects. Interesting, but I, but I think what you're getting at is that I'm able to detach from those subjects. So, yeah, but you're gonna have equanimity about things instead of being completely consumed by them, right? Yeah, well, I think um, being able to detach, which yeah. is uh, which is a, a kind of key quality of that magician archetype is the ability to detach, um, but not detaching by turning subjects into objects. Um, but allowing them actually to have their own autonomy, um, mm. but being able to let them be free so that I can be free. That's kind of the way I think about it is um, if I'm able to detach in a healthy way when needed, um, it allows for more freedom in myself and more freedom for the other person. They can be who they are. I can be who I am and we can coexist. Beautiful. Yeah. And some kind of harmony. Uh, but that to me is a high level of development and it takes a lot of practice to get to that point where you're able to do it, mm. you know, and it's something I aspire to. It's not something that I live 24 seven, you know, mm. like even Christ had his moments. <laughs> yeah. He, he flipped some tables. <laughs> he flipped some tables and, and not only that, but you know that's the kind of common story that we hear that he goes into the temple and he's outraged at what he's seen with the money lenders there and everything. Um, you know, you've turned my temple into a den of thieves. Ah, uh, but after that, he's uh, he's going around with some of his followers and they're they're um, preaching the ministry and all that stuff, and they're getting hungry and they come across a fig tree, and mm. so they're really excited. They're going to have some food finally, 
and uh, Christ walks up to the fig tree and it's not bearing any fruit. So you would expect, you know, Christ of the loaves and fishes, uh, you know, turning water into wine would maybe make the fig tree bloom with uh, luscious fruit that would feed all of his friends. But no, he curses the fig tree for not bearing any fruit. And not only that, but he curses it for the rest of its life to not bear any fruit. Kind of like, well, if I can't have any, no one else can either. And he kind of throws a little hissy fit. Uh, I remember that story. <laughs> takes it out on this poor fig tree. And I was yeah. thinking like, why would the, you know, why would they include this story? It doesn't. <laughs> what, what is the moral of, of, of well, it doesn't of paint him in the best light, you know, he's, yeah. he's kind of like petty and you could kind <laughs> of uh, maybe turn it into some sort of parable and draw out some moral it, but that's a hard one to like, well, if you're going to save humanity, from. you have to you have to curse some fig trees along the way. It's just well, it's, the way I take it is that you know it, what it's showing is that's Christ's human side. You know, he was yeah. uh, he was the God Man, and that was definitely the human side of him the that man. could um, yeah. get upset and be uh, petty. <laughs> that's funny. But the, yeah. <laughs> uh, Edward Edinger, the Jungian, said that um, that was a result mm. of his inflation so he had gone uh been accepted into jerusalem and seen as the coming messiah so he was like really full of himself at that moment so it was following that event that he went in and turned uh, over the money lenders tables and cursed the fig tree so edinger talks about it as that being part of his grandiose inflation that we he was uh caught fascinating. up fascinating it's a very human a good lesson for us too yeah very human yeah, right very human like what yeah. uh, Moore talks about when we get possessed by these archetypes, we get really inflated. We get all shiny and charismatic, but we also get really full of ourselves. And that's usually what leads to some sort of uh, fall or tripping us up in some way. Yeah. Yeah, very much. You know, I'm currently within a period of a lot of you, hum I wouldn't say humiliation, but uh, humility. Um think there are cycles of my life where there's some some period that is like profoundly humbling and um it often seems to precede uh, a big change in what i focus on in life or like how i live my life and i think in terms of the the, the grandiosity that that comes from being too close to the archetype the the humbling is the medicine you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, well humility of course it has the same stem as uh, a soil hummus so it, it it derives from the idea of being close to the earth yeah and uh, and when you've been flying high maybe that's a very good place to go close to the earth yeah yeah, yeah. maybe better to have someone around who can bring you back down to earth uh yeah you know, with a little more gentleness before you crash like Icarus before the wings the burn ocean up. or <laughs> where the wings burn up right yeah but uh well he was so inflated he wouldn't listen to daedalus he wouldn't listen to his father he's like ah, i know uh -huh. what i'm doing <laughs> yeah it's part of the inflation is you don't listen to other people right 
It most certainly is. I mean, that's the beauty of youth is that you have such incredible faith in how the rightness of beliefs and, and and like it's just it's just obvious that you know my way is the right way. <laughs> yeah. That's the ignorance, but also the uh, what is wonderful I think about being young it gives gives a lot of uh, energy to create things and do things. And but I now that I'm 43 years old, and I guess I'm just a couple of years younger than you are, Brian. Um, there's 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 something beautiful with starting to uh, to have quite a uh, a collection of shall we say proof that I'm very often wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, I I guess this is really eventually where the king archetype comes out of, where where I I discover the true service in my leadership and in my presence for other people. It's not about proving myself anymore. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Like what you're talking about with uh, humility, the hummus close to earth nature of it, that to me is very indicative of a good king or good elder. So they are very earthy. Yeah, you know they've been on their flights of fancy and they've been on their transcendental journeys and they've decided to come back down to earth to be of service to the community and to the earth itself, perhaps. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. So you're you're basically saying, if I understand you correctly, that being an elder is by definition being very deliberate or intentional in being human and close to the earth. I think so. Yeah. Because people can get older without becoming elders. And it's been hard for me to find elders in my life that are actually like physically close to me. You know, most of the good elders I've been able to connect to live very far away and you know, it's thanks mm. to the telephone and Zoom that I've uh, had any kind of contact with them. And, mm. you know, also through their books and maybe recorded lectures like with Robert Moore, who never got yeah. to meet. Yeah. Uh, but I still feel a, a spiritual connection to. Yeah. Mm. But um, not having those physical elders around to really lean on um, has caused me to think quite a bit about what makes an elder. Yeah. And um Part of it, I think, is uh, having gone on those flights of fancy and, uh, you know, really gone out and explored, maybe not geographically so much as explored the spiritual aspects of life, the non-material aspects of life. And Mm -hmm. um, like the Bodhisattva coming back and choosing to be of service and realizing that you have a responsibility to those younger than you and to those that are yet to come. Yeah. You know, and I just see too many older people abdicating that responsibility or that role and it leaves a void. And like we talked about in our previous conversation, you know, when the there's a void of the king in the culture and within the person, um, it's going to get filled up by something 
you know, nature abhors a vacuum, as they say. And uh, yeah, you know, if you're left with a god size or elder size hole in you, it's going to lead you to try and fill it with all kinds of things. Yeah, and typically not very good things. Yeah, well, I think things that are maybe quite limited, they're, um, they're a poor substitute for the real deal. You yeah. know, like an ideology or a celebrity guru trying to fill that elder hunger or that elder size hole in you. I, I interviewed um, Michael Butler. He's an Orthodox priest. American Orthodox priest for my new podcast now on on Friday and he was talking about all of these things how people were deeply longing he was experiencing how a lot of young men lately often young single men are coming to the Orthodox Church because they feel such longing for for something meaningful and that they have deep pain with the state of the world that doesn't provide them any nutrients. And a lot of them come in to him and, you know, they're very addicted and all have all kinds of issues. And um, that's why they seek, that's why they seek uh, God. And really, a lot of the men who come to reclaim Unitron are are in a very similar place. They, we we work a lot with addictions on reclaim Unitron, and in part because I've had so many of them myself. Um, and and realizing that the symptom, the symptoms of having an empty heart and soul, you know, of really not feeling that I'm full with meaning, the symptoms are as painful as they may be. And typically what I'm speaking about here is addictions. Um, they can also become gateways to deeper realization. And, uh, and to actually, finally, they can become gateways that, that lead back to, to the place that, um, that we need to go in order to fill. And mm -hmm. become whole again. Yeah, yeah, that resonates. Um, so, someone that uh, I've trained with, Gabor Mate, who's a Canadian physician and uh, yeah. you know, kind of an acclaimed authority on trauma and addiction. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he got kind of famous with this question that he asked that reframed addiction for some people. And he would ask, um, not why the addiction, but why the pain. And I've sat with that for quite a long time. And I think that's a good beginning to the inquiry. But for me, the next question is not just why the pain, but what is the desire that the addiction is reaching for to be fulfilled? Mm. And that to me um, leads us in a more positive, generative direction. If we think about what is the unmet desire in me that I'm kind of trying to fulfill, but it's in an unconscious and confused or distorted yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and that becomes a portal to me, not into the past to try to find the source of my trauma in my childhood and all of that, but uh, a portal into the future possibility of 
who I could be. Um, yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I wanted to ask you, you're talking about um, interviewing this Orthodox priest and about a lot of young men who are searching for something more in their life or some direction, finding mm -hmm. their way to the Orthodox Church. I mean, this is um, this is something that I've just been sitting with, uh, really steeping in it for the past while. And maybe I'll tr get your take on it. So what do you mm. think about this? Because uh, I've heard about this kind of revival of Orthodox Christianity, like really mm. smart, intelligent people yeah. um, signing up to Greek, Greek Orthodox Church or other Eastern Orthodox churches and and loving the kind of ritual and the liturgy and the icons and all of that. Um, I think it's a good start to begin by looking at the um, tradition of your own culture. You know, we're talking about Christianity here. But do you think um, actually literally going and signing up, becoming baptized maybe into these Orthodox churches, do you think that's the right move at this stage in the game? Well, I haven't done it. Let me just confess that first of, first of all. Um, currently, in terms of religious affiliation back home in Norway, I'm connected to the, the Buddhists um, through a, a sangha, a Tibetan Buddhist sangha. So I'm, I'm considering changing that. Uh, even though the, the Buddhist part of my life was very significant, there's something about returning to the religious roots of my own culture that has become more and more important. And I remember my, my father, he became very concerned when I became interested in Buddhism while I was still alive. And he was concerned that I was somehow uh, going to uh, be, become a lost son, you know, and that I was now becoming pulled into some sort of navel gazing Eastern spiritual uh, pursuit. Um, I don't think that's exactly what happened in the end, but, um, but there's, there's something in my heart, at the very least, there's something in Christianity that has been impossible to shake. Yeah, me my too. Whole, Good way to whole, put it. <laughs> through my whole adult life. Yeah. And I told you briefly last time we spoke, when, when we had the tech issues that I had this, um, a retreat experience at the Buddhist retreat center connected to, to the Norwegian Sangha where I went to bed this night and, and I had a very strong sense of presence by the, by the bed, super strong. And there were two, there were two beings. And one of them I immediately identified as the Buddha and the other one was Jesus Christ. And I was very flabbergasted by the second I was like, why are you here? Like, I'm a Buddhist now. I'm in a Buddhist retreat center. Why are you here? And initially I was angry and scared, you know, because I felt like I was being visited by something that was, that was not welcome. And gradually um, I started to find this profound rest in this, in this very strong experience in my spiritual journey of, of having these two beings viscerally present at the side of my bed 
and realizing that they weren't actually opposed to one another at all. They felt very much like brothers, spiritual brothers, and that they had served different purposes in the awakening of humanity and the salvation of humanity, but they were still um, working towards, well, not exactly the same goal, which I would just say to, to not get too theological or heretical uh, <laughs> that I, I found that they both belonged in my heart. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, who knows what their intended purpose is, right? Like you started to go there and then you pulled back, but I like yes. that, that, you know, maybe that's unknowable, but they both belong in my heart somehow. Yeah, they do. And I I like to say that in terms of spirituality, the Buddha is the mind and the Christ is the heart. And that you need them both in order to be a complete spiritual practitioner. Um, mm. mm-hmm. And um, I just, when I hear about these young men and when I hear about the revival of Christianity, I become happy. I feel it's a good thing, you know, I, I really do. Even though I can vividly remember the the many people who have tried to convert me to their Christian ways over the years and how annoying I found them and how at the end of the day, they didn't really have the faith that they pretended to because I just see that their spiritual grounding was actually quite shallow as a See, seeing them from afar over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that have wanted to convert me to their spiritual ways over the years. And at the end of the day, for me it has to be a very personal thing and I'm and I'm very happy. And more and more people are actively seeking out Jesus Christ again. I think it's a very good thing. And and the Orthodox Church, I don't know them well, but what Michael said was, uh, I asked them, what is it that, that, that makes the Orthodox Church different from other denominations? And then he said something that I didn't know is that they, well, they considered themselves to be a pre-denominational church, like the, the original church. And that they very much have no change over the last 1,000 years. And when you hear things like the Reformation and all that, this, this wasn't part of the, the history of the Orthodox Church at all. And so there's, there's something very ancient that lives there that is completely different to, to contemporary culture. And I, I think, therefore, that all of the people that have been so deeply traumatized by the vacuity and, you know, the, 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 uh, the garish. And yeah. It's just, just, our culture is just garish by now. It's like just sick. Mm-hmm. And that these, 
people have an opportunity to to find a place where where they actually still even today and feel that life has meaning that can that can only be good in my perception mm-hmm. yeah i guess i'm hesitant to celebrate it too much um hmm. because you know like you said that they've tried to preserve this um this church for you know 1500 years or however long it's been right and i'm not sure that's a good thing actually mm-hmm. um i think uh, religions have to evolve and they have to be responsive to the spirit of the times while they hold the spirit of the ages you know and mm-hmm. carry that forward and uh yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure like where I really sit with it now, like I'm kind of in it and I'm wondering, well, how do I address this uh, Christian concern? Because like you, it's been something that I've not been able to shake. I've been trying to shake it off my whole life. Um, When I went deeply into yoga, who's there at the end of the road? It was Jesus Christ. (laughs) I find myself going through a practice and poof, there he is. Okay. You know, and I run off to the Amazon to drink ayahuasca with uh, indigenous people and boom, there he is in the middle of a ceremony in the jungle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I have to reckon with, with it as part of my spiritual and cultural inheritance and navigating, you know, what does it then mean? Um, how do I honor this? Do I go, you know, into the Anglican church in which I was baptized? Um, Do I try to find an older, more kind of quote unquote, more pure expression of Christianity through maybe the Orthodox church or a group of Gnostics or something like that? Mm. And I'm not sure that going back is the way forward. I'm, I'm having a kind of hazy vision Mm. of something that is inspired by Christ's saying that uh, where two or more gather, there I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I've got this hazy vision of us meeting out in nature, uh, outside uh, any anything that we recognize as a church structure, any kind of dogma where we meet in nature in a spirit of friendship. And sitting with these questions of what to do with the world and what is our role in being stewards of this world and maybe having some arguments around a fire on what to do with it all. And then uh, coming together and breaking bread in the old way and maybe having Mm. a cup of wine or ale and, uh, and then going out and, and doing some of the things that we argued about, you know, something like that. Mm. That's the kind of, and, you know, maybe uh, I'd have to sing some songs too. Music's a big part of it for me. Mm. Um, but that's kind of the church that I would like to join. You know, and I don't know if anything else could um, could be a substitute for that, you know. I just, uh, but I'm not sure if anyone else is interested in that. Are you going to start a church? A nature <laughs> church? Yeah, well, maybe, 
Maybe. I don't know. I don't know where it's all leading, but mm-hmm. um, something's kind of dragging me along in that direction. Mm. It sounds to me like you have a very personal connection to Jesus Christ, but you're more um, negative towards the church as an institution. Yeah, I don't know about actively negative. Um, it just seems kind of like it's over. Mm. It seems more benign to me than anything. Um, I just don't mm. feel a lot of juice there. I mean, over my lifetime, I've I've checked out all the different churches, you know, from um, the spiritualist churches to the clean uh you know, kind of post-Reformation Protestant type churches with just like a minimalist cross and like they're kind of boring. None of of the window dressing, you know, the universalist kind of churches and all of that. And Mm. um, I mean, there's something I love about going to visit a cathedral kind of in the off hours. Like I love being in the space and being with those images and the meditating there is, it's incredible. I mean, this, the, to speak of archetypes there, you know, there's just such a connection. And the, the architecture of a cathedral, the way that it constellates the axis mundi of the king is just really remarkable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like, to me, you know, as a designer, I look at that and I go, this is a, this is a spiritual machine. And the problem for me is when I go into, you know, I went to, I was in San Francisco once and I went to visit Grace Cathedral on Easter Sunday, not during the the mass or anything, but like in the off hours, like when I go to visit, when it's more quiet, um, I remember going in there and just being amazed at the architecture and all the stained glass and the giant pipe organs and all this, just like this spiritual machine. And the thing that was so kind of illustrative of me of the state of the church is I walk in and I look on the floor, there's a giant inlaid marble labyrinth in the center of the floor. So Mm. meant for people to walk around and use as a meditation device, like walking around the mandala. Mm. Um, But instead of being available for a walking meditation, there was a bunch of folding chairs put on top of it so that people could sit and listen to the liturgy rather than do a practice that would give them a direct experience of God. And that to me just said it all about the state of the church these days. It's like somewhere people have lost the user manual for how to get these spiritual machines up and running so that people can have a personal experience of gnosis. Yeah. Well, this is just a symptom of the times that we live in. I, I feel I feel clear that we're really coming to the end point of a of a time in humanity where we have just outsourced our authority we've just externalized authority and whoever has the right letters to their name they have the right position and then like a large majority of the population goes like Oh, well, if they say so, I guess it must be true. And then any kind of intuition or any kind of hunch that it isn't true, it's just discarded as irrelevant. And I think even the church has fallen prey to this, this, this way of, of 
of thinking. Like I don't think any part of our society has escaped this. And maybe, maybe we really never had a different way, and that only now are we starting to become awake enough to realize that this way doesn't actually work. And that sovereignty is the name of the game. And for me, the, this whole pandemic really has been centered around this word sovereignty. And that there has been a widespread attack against those that want sovereignty. Mm-hmm. It has been organized from every strata of society. And so many of the people in my life, but, you know, normal, normal people have been recruited as foot soldiers in the war on sovereignty, mm-hmm. you know? So no wonder you're, you're going into a church and you're not finding any place for personal practice because anything personal is just like, is practically illegal. You know, you're yeah, supposed to be dangerous to the status quo. Yeah. You're supposed to be, following the norms you're supposed to do what is safe for everyone and don't make people comfortable and if you do make people uncomfortable then we're going to cancel your ass and remove your accounts and even you know in canada now where you're from they start to freeze people's bank accounts if they have the wrong opinions you know we're, we're really we're really in a completely crazy crazy place and and mm-hmm. I think for me, um, in the midst of all of this, there is a very strong presence of a Christian theme mm-hmm. where like I've been th- I've been speaking about this on the podcast that you've listened to. It's like like I didn't used to take the Bible seriously, but it almost uh, now I always sometimes open it and it feels like I'm reading the word of prophecy, you know, and it's like, like, well, this shit is happening right now. Like, like this is crazy. Huh? Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, I just think we're, we're we live in very interesting times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you know, Chinese curse. Maybe yes. Interesting times. Huh? Yeah, yeah. My, my we're partner, Mich- Michelle, is, is Chinese, actually, um, or Hong Kong. And um, yeah, we, we we're very much in these interesting times, and and at the end of the day, the the presence of archetypal themes right now are are stronger than they have been at any point in my lifetime. Yeah, you know, I think you know, think about a man. You know, thinking about masculinity over the past, I don't know, 500 years, like when things really changed during Mm. the Industrial Revolution and men started going off to factories and all of that. And then the Great Wars, of course. Um, You know, I've never really thought about this before, but you can look at different periods in fairly recent history and see Mm. how different archetypes were more centrally uh, apparent or Mm. they were constellated in a a profound way. Um, We can see, obviously, there's a time for the warrior 
in our Western yeah. culture. Um, definitely lots of magician. I mean, the age of technology and the technological boom. Um, and I think even, uh, you know, coming out of the 60s, the, the lover being very constellated and leading to this kind of soft man syndrome uh, that yeah. uh, our leaders in the men's movement talked about in the nineties. And um, they were trying to, you know, Robert Moore talked to, or Robert Bly talked a lot about reclaiming the inner wild man yeah. kind of offset that uh, kind of passivity and softness of the man, which I think was a, just a, a healthy response to the patriarchy of the forties and fifties. And, you know, kind of North American, Western culture, at least, but probably broader. And I wonder now if it's the time of the King, you know, like what you're saying, I think there is a real war on personal sovereignty. And if uh, sovereignty isn't the realm of the King or the role of the King within, I don't know what is. And I, and I see a direct correlation to the awakening of uh, Christ consciousness. Yeah. And I think that's where my hesitancy comes from about guys going to the church, the literal church, um, because I think really the move is, uh, you know, it was foreshadowed in a, so I was part of a, um, a Brazilian ayahuasca church. <laughs> and was it called Santo Daime, Daime or, or something like that? Yeah, Santo Daime. Santo Daime, yeah. Their, their belief was that the ayahuasca vine was here to awaken Christ consciousness in the hearts of all men, all humans. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's spreading across the globe so rapidly. So that's their belief is that by drinking the sacrament, it awakens Christ consciousness in your heart. And this mm. is the second coming and mm. the cross that they use on their altar has a, a second, uh, shorter horizontal beam above the central beam representing mm. this second coming in the hearts of all men. And that to me is directly related to reclaiming the inner throne, the focus of your work. And yes, the cultivation of personal sovereignty. Um, yes. And I'm reminded of uh, what Jung said about the idea that we should imitate Christ. You know, it's an old Christian idea. Yeah. And, you know, in the 90s, I remember people having bumper stickers and tattoos and T-shirts of what would Jesus do? You know, like we want to imitate Christ. We want to be like Jesus. But what Jung said is like, don't take it literally. Don't mimic his particular actions. Imitate him in that he was a sovereign, unique individual and living that out in the world as an example. Mm -hmm. So to imitate Christ is to be yourself, to be yourself as fully as you can, right? to embody all of these different archetypal potentials, which yeah. were all present in the figure of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So I think I think that's that's maybe the next move that I'm feeling is uh, is needed is the awakening of the Christ consciousness within finding personal sovereignty, and what that's going to allow you to do is find um, brotherhood and sisterhood with others um, to have some of that healthy detachment that we talked about earlier to allow mm -hmm. others to be fully themselves. Yeah, you know. Yeah. 
know. It's a vision yeah. that's forming for me anyway. Yeah, I have. I like what you say, and I have so many questions about what it means. For instance, in experimenting with with ways of running organizations, what does it mean that everyone inside of the organization is sovereign? Practically speaking, in the day to day running of it, does it mean that the leader, in this case, me? This is a very personal inquiry that I kind of surrender my need to be, a, be on top of things and, and just hope that the emergence that comes from sovereign people is better than anything that I can conceive of myself. And do people in the organization actually have readiness to even be sovereign? Which one of the things that Michelle, my partner, is working with, she's working a lot with, making um or working with with teams and organizations in order to make them work in a teal way it's, it's this like you maybe you know it so integral yeah. theory yeah yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah yeah where it's more of a um people are more autonomous inside of the organization and um have agency and so you have a lot of flow in the team because everyone is doing their thing and, and are responsible for it. But, but in practice, she's finding that people don't really want that. They, they, they want somebody to tell them what to do. Give me the to-do list. Yeah. Right. Um, so I have so many questions like the, 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 the civilizational questions I was sitting with now are, have such high levels of complexity that it's overwhelming for me at times. I think, uh, you know, maybe where it begins is with the, the spiritual practice. You know, I wonder like, why sure. have, have Westerners been such fervent seekers of uh, real spiritual practice, you know, and they've had to go to the East, to mm -hmm. the South, you know, people are going North and doing, uh, learning how to read runes and things like that. Like people are mm. really hungry for some kind of actual practice, not just a, a framework yeah. or a theory, <clears throat> but something to actually do to cultivate, you know, uh, you know, the way I would see it is cultivating the, the king within or the God within, the Christ consciousness within, Buddha mm. nature within, however you want to think about it cultivating that um, spiritual potential within yourself through practice. Mm. So why, you know, why have we uh, been so hungry for this? And I think it's leading us to the ability to actually be sovereign individuals, which doesn't mean we don't collaborate, which doesn't mean that we don't know when to step back and mm -hmm. let someone else lead in mm. that particular moment. So I'm not, um, I don't see sovereignty of the individual as canceling out hierarchy or leadership, because I think, uh, I think teams always need those things. And uh, yeah. the sovereign individual is able to see where they fit best in that overall Great. ecology. Right. Yes. 
So there are very profound themes being worked out for a lot of people now around hierarchy and around power. This is something that I notice across the board. And this is, I think this as well as is particular to us men, because uh, we are so conditioned culturally to be providers. And so we need to, uh, we need to perform right in order to feel that we're we have some level of dignity and um and in this in this place it's it's weird but it, it seems to end up in 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 these um in these places where we as men we are fighting each other cuz cuz we have this idea of limited resources and and we we also then have a fragile ego we come to have a fragile ego because we're so um myopically focused on making it in the world and so if there's a kind of feedback offered that indicates that you're not making it in the world then all of the defenses come right up you know and yeah. this is this this i think is a real problem for us men right now because on the one hand um there is this softness and i would say that a an apathy has taken the men of the world mm-hmm. like yeah what does it matter anyway you know we're just the patriarchy we're we're violent you know fuck it you know i'm just going to sit over here and jerk yeah. off to poor we're toxic and you know yeah i think a lot of that is response to the um kind of already passive men hearing this kind of messaging from the wider culture and internalizing it. And actually what I see that as is just an excuse to, to be even more passive um, and to kind of fall into that pit. Yes. You know, these are men who don't have that deeper source of power. You know, we're talking about reclaiming the throne and finding the inner King, uh, finding the, Christ consciousness within, you know, that's a, that's a deep source of power. You know, that's like connecting to the river that runs under it all. And if you have that, you're not going to be competitive. Uh, You're not going to come from a scarcity mindset. You're not going to see other men as potential threats. Mm -hmm. Um, So that to me is where it all begins, you know, whether it's the religious problem or the societal problems, it's getting men connected to that deep spiritual source. I don't think without that, anything will change. Yeah. Yeah. I but how do we, how do we get men to the well? That's the question yeah, I've always had. As a man, <laughs> you, you need to have a template to model who you are. As, you know, I think it's so helpful. It's like men, you know, I think of men as builders, mechanics. Uh, they love technology. We love all that. And so we need that blueprint as the way in i i completely agree and and in terms of you know reclaiming a throne is an online initiation and an initiation of course is about some kind of passage in life whether it's from boy to man or from one chapter of life to another and and we don't we don't have these culturally um established as as mandatory rituals you know it's just a just a small minority that 
maybe because they're kind of quirky, you know, they, they choose to do it. They're, they like myth or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I want to, I want an adventure myself, you know, and they, they go and find an initiation, but, but there's something, there's something there. If, if we don't have this initiation, I felt that I felt it. And all of the men, I think, I, I, I do think all of the men that come to reclaiming a throne, they have deep insecurities about this question like am i am i really a man or am i am i just a boy fucking around not really knowing what to do with my life yeah and, well if you have to and, ask that question i think the answer is pretty clear <laughs> right right <laughs> and so i think this to go back to to jesus christ he's a template for for masculinity you know he's like the perfect man you know mm. I push back on that. Yeah. 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 I don't think he was the perfect man. I mean, he was never married. He never had children. He, uh, well, that's, you know, he died when he was 33, you know, Hmm. what does he look like as an old man? You know, like what is, uh, what is a good man of age? You know, what do they look like? What do they feel like to be around? I don't know that about Jesus. I mean, I think he was here for a certain purpose, um, but I don't think it was to display what it's like to be a full man. Okay. Well, um, where's the lover aspect? I mean, you know, the sensual erotic lover aspect, you know, we could say, well, he was compassionate to all these people. Well, he wasn't compassionate to everyone. (laughs) Um, I think where was his lover side? You know, what was his sex life like? We don't know. Depends, and depends on what literature you take for 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 historical accuracy, and what literature you think is just <laughs> make believe. But if you if you were to if you were to read, among other things, this Ma- Mary Magdalene manuscripts that um, was was channeled uh, by this couple some decades ago which was about the the tantric relationship between jesus christ <laughs> and mary magdalene well you know you, you know read fan fiction uh written about anyone it's a erotic fantasy that the couple had about jesus well who you knows know? you know i don't think the bible is more authoritative than than this i don't yeah yeah but you know we could have uh, a fantasy life about any mythological or historical figure about anyone you know but i'm just saying as um, as received through scripture uh-huh. i don't think jesus christ is a is a perfect model for men to follow or to um to model their whole life on because to me there's just a lot of gaps especially for men who are Fair. householders who are really living in the world yeah I do anyway think that he serves that purpose for a lot of men when they come into the church and they see somebody who has really dedicated themselves to uh, serving a larger cause in their, in their lives. And that there is, a, uh, there is a falling at rest inside of a man when he gets to look at himself in the reflection of somebody that they admire. 
mm-hmm. you know, and 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 there are not so many men to admire in 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 this day and age, and so for for men to find men to admire, whether real or mythical, it just seems to be incredibly important. And mm-hmm. um, in the absence of healthy initiation and healthy elders, this is important. And it, it is why back in the days I started masculinitymovies.com where, where maybe more than anywhere else in, in our culture now, that is a place movies are a place where we can go to feel the the impact of these kinds of legendary beings you know that the kinds of beings that are are incarnations of archetypal patterns and to feel how they impact us on a soul level as men and and draw in those nutrients i think it's super important don't you yeah i just think we need better movies Honestly, um, mm. I've been uh, doing a series on Instagram where I look at uh, different recent films. And, you know, I've also been looking at some public figures, too, and doing these little uh, oh, cool. archetypal analyses on them. So oh. I've got its constraints because of uh, character limits on Instagram. But that's mm. a, a nice little structure for me to work within. And uh mm. And I've been looking around. I'm like, there's a lot of examples of what I would think of as, uh, you know, some of the shadow aspects of the archetypes, but really hard to find examples where the man is like fully embodying the the positive poles of the archetypes. Yeah. It's harder yes. to find. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have, yeah. It's it's it makes me sad to to think of how few men out there i actually genuinely feel inspired by Mm. yeah we have work to do there yeah that's for sure um so let's wrap it up uh i'd like you if you could to tell people about the upcoming course that you've got running so you've got another of your uh intensive immersions for claim your inner throne coming up and i believe it might be the last one in this format so tell us a little yeah, bit about it it's true the reason why it's the last one in this format actually i want to i want to add that is that we have we have discovered that that while this this incredibly intensive 3 month experience that you can now join um is is super powerful for some men that like to do things in a slightly different uh, at a different pace and some men also don't have the same capacity for transformation and so they they need to take their time and so if if you're the kind of guy that wants to to take your time and be more sovereign in how you go through a journey then you can wait but if you want to have the last high intensity reclaiming a throne experience then that starts on March 28th. And it is a training that we are running for the, I think it's the 16th time. And uh, and so it's a well-established journey. And it's, uh, it's going to take you very, very, very deep into your heart and soul and make you face all of the wounds from your childhood, make you 
identify all of the addictions and self-sabotaging patterns that you developed in order to not deal with those wounds and going to face all of your demons that you have been running away from your whole life and going to be learning how to bridge your power with your heart and really come 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 to a um a crescendo where you do lineage work and um and step away with the vision for your life and um it is powerful work and i would love for whoever is listening and feeling drawn to to join us for that march 28th we're, yeah, we're just, going to have open enrollment for the first week okay mm. yeah i'm just going to encourage men who are listening right now to you describe that journey just take a moment and check in with your heart and see if you can discern whether there's a yes there yeah. you know you might feel the heart beating a little bit you might feel an uplift of energy might feel a little um fear in the belly at the thought of taking a course like this but just take a moment to tune in and listen for that yes or or tell me more maybe it is just some curiosity about the course yeah so if you're um if you're at all interested i've got a link in the description below it's uh, innerthrone.com and uh, I, Ivan's got lots of work out there, lots of videos, a whole series of podcasts of him talking about archetypes and how they show yeah. up in the world, which is really fun, kind of get inside your head, <laughs> share a lot of your concerns about the world, that's for sure. Yeah. And also this drive to do something about it, mm. Mm. you know, to okay. step up and show up. I think we need as many men out there as possible speaking what's true and uh, daring to go against the grain of culture because culture is sick and we need to have men who are willing to be agentic and to stand up in the in the town square and <laughs> and you know maybe look crazy for a little while uh, but but speaking the truth well yeah i don't know if i'd go so far as to say I know what the truth is about anything, but um, even to be asking the her heretical questions. Um, and, and that to me, and I was talking to my wife about this yesterday, that to me is the, where I see the most value of uh, the, ar the Christ archetype mm -hmm. in the here and now is that what he did model for us was a, uh, a willingness, like you said, to swim upstream to go against uh, the flow of the culture uh, mm. and to stand for what he believed in. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I derive a lot of inspiration from that, you know, it's like coming from a kind of punk rock counterculture, independent <laughs> music background. Uh, that's the, that's the kind of the side of Christ that really resonates with me. It's that uh, counterculture rebel who's willing to, Say what he thinks, even when it goes against the grain, ruffles some mm. feathers. Yeah, it's so important, man. The world has never become better by people conforming and doing what everyone expects them to. And these days, uh, this, this tendency of conformity and obedience, I would say, obedience is the word, 
has become so widespread and so toxic that uh, well, we're uh, we are teetering at the edge of very, very, very dangerous, um, possibly cataclysmic events unless unless people really get their shit together. And so I, I feel like we we really it's it's crunch time, you know. It's five minutes to midnight. It's it's time to it's time to speak out and and wake up. Yeah. Well, I'm with you, brother, and uh, yeah. I'm glad we could do this. And I'm happy the way the conversation took its own course. Yeah, you know, we've we've both got lots of information on our websites and all of that, and people can go to find out more. But I'm glad it felt like there's a real engagement with some of the ideas that we both work with. So that felt really good. And yeah, it's, it's it's fun to speak about something that I care so much about with with somebody. Who, who shares that love. So we didn't get to speak much about Robert Moore and Marina Marina's interview, but I just encourage anyone who was distraught by the way that Robert Moore uh, left this world to, to go on YouTube and, and find my video where, where we share the information uh, that basically, basically undermines the whole story that you've heard and that proves decisively that he didn't shoot his wife and then kill himself. So, yeah, <clears throat> I'm going to include a link to that video below because right. I think anyone who's interested in Robert Moore's work needs to hear that whole story because I feel, you know, I feel like his legacy has been tarnished by mm -hmm. um, some falsehoods yeah. that have never been corrected. You know, in the past uh, six years, you're the first yes. one I've heard who's. Uh, really brought this to light. So appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Okay. My friend. <laughs> good to connect. Again. Yeah. Good to connect. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. The Medicine Path is produced by Brian James on unceded Coast Salish territory, Vancouver Island, Canada. For more information, visit brianjames.ca. Music by Olive Artizoni, a.k.a. Greenhouse. Join the Medicine Path tribe and gain early access to episodes and the full podcast archives at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until the next time we meet on the medicine path. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.